You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to introduce our guests for today. We've got the one and only Christy Lauren Adams. She's a speaker, author, youth advocate, and ordained Baptist minister. Christy is the author of Parable of the Brown Girl, which is published by Fortress Press. Um, That book highlights the cultural and spiritual truths that emerge from the lives of young Black girls. Parable of the Brown Girl has received awards for Best Young Adult Book, from the African-American Literary Awards and the New York Black Librarians Caucus. But she's also got a new book coming out, Unbossed, How Black Girls Are Leading the Way, which will be released in the spring of 2022 with Broadleaf Books. Um, There's also a middle grade version of the book titled Black Girls Unbossed, Young World Changers Leading the Way, which will be released with Beaming Books. She works as Dean of Spiritual Life and Equity at the Hill School, Christy is also an instructor of religious studies at the Hill School. She is the founder and director of the Becoming Conference, an annual conference and leadership cohort designed to empower, educate, and inspire girls between the ages of 13 and 18. Christy is a graduate of Temple University with a degree in advertising and a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, where she obtained a Master of Divinity degree. She also currently sits on the advisory board for Word Made Flesh, a nonprofit organization existing to serve among the most vulnerable of the world's poor. I'm just so grateful, Christy, that you can join us. Welcome to Inverse Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Christy, um, there's so much uh, we want to open up with you, but we thought we'd first start by giving you an opportunity to talk to your new book, which is coming out. Do you want to sketch a little bit this new yeah. project? Yeah. So, um, Unbossed, there are two versions. There's an adult version and a middle grade version. And I say that because the middle grade version has a slightly different title, but a similar title. Um, The adult version is called Unbossed, How Black Girls Are Leading the Way. And the middle grade version is called Black Girls Unbossed, Young World Changers Leading the Way. and the, uh, the book highlights the, um, the lives and the, the narratives and the leadership of eight. Uh, I want to say young Black girls, but when I interviewed them, they were young. Uh, when the book comes out, they'll be a little bit older, <laughs> um, which is interesting because when I did Parable, it wasn't an issue because they were anonymous stories. But um, these are actual young women um, who I've had an opportunity to either be in relationship with or just meet along the way who are leading in different um, aspects of society. So one is from Rhode Island, another one from Baltimore, one is from New Jersey, um, one's from down south, um, uh, outside of Atlanta. And um, they're all, I wanna call them activists in their own right. Um, They're not activists in the way that I think people just see sort of traditional activism in in the public sphere as of late. Um, Yes, there are, they, they, you know, they all are, uh, advocates for racial justice, right? Um, but outside of that, they they each have a specific unique calling. Um, and so, for example, um, one is, is a mental health advocate. Another one is a 
environmental climate activist, she calls herself. Um, uh, there's a, another one that um, focuses on literacy for young brown kids and has an organization called Brown Kids Read. Um, and so they all, you know, they, they're all very unique. And uh, what I try to do in the book um, is take the one year that I was in an organi organizational leadership program, <laughs> PhD program. I say that because when I left that program, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to use this again. And when the book idea came about, um, I had all these sort of books in the back, these leadership theory books. Um, and I had spent a lot of time in classes and writing a lot on leadership theory. And I am no, no, by no means an expert in leadership theory. Let me just put it that way. Um, but there was something about these girls and their leadership that I remembered seeing um, in those books. And, um, and sort of the argument becomes that it's not just, oh, well, let me highlight some leaders and look, there are leaders and saying it sort of in a frivolous way, which there would be nothing wrong with, but saying, no, these, these girls reflect a particular academic discipline, a particular part of leadership theory that just naturally comes out of them without them even realizing it. Um, and also sort of make the argument that these girls reflect their foremothers, uh, black women that have, you know, black women and girls who have paved the way and been reflecting the same leadership theory, theories, you know, for, for generations. Um, and so, you know, from there I go into sort of the wisdom that I learned from them, but we can learn about leadership from young black girls. And that's, that's the, the point that I make in the book. Yeah. And might I say, since I got an early read, it is an excellent book. It's an excellent book. And I really did appreciate precisely what you just said, right? The way in which um, you draw out just the distinct leadership, you know, qualities of all these different young women. Um, it's just powerful. And I know it's going to be a gift to so many folks. And so anyway, you know, I champion everything you do. Oh, I know. I just I love do, you. So. Thank you. Well, let so, me go back and say too, like one girl, uh, so Tia Moy Roberts is one girl that I write about and she was um, a Parkland, a part of that Parkland shooting um, sort of survivors student. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was looking at Tia's picture that I have in the book. We have the illustration in the middle grade and then sort of like her black and white photo in the adult. And, you know, I'm looking at her with her big hair and we all, so I follow her on Instagram and I've recently seen her shave her head off, all her hair off and now she's just blonde and I'm like, oh, you girls, <laughs> you know, not that I want her to stay the same, like, I, it's fun to watch them evolve and grow up, but they just don't care, you know what I mean? Like, if this was adults, like, it would be like, we got to make sure that our brand and our look and everything is consistent with the book or whatever. She's like, I'm shaving my head off. And then another one just completely like like erased all her Instagram photos. I mean, all of like her with the marches and all the good stuff that I was like wanting to send people to, you know, she just, it's just one photo up there now. She just. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. What I thought was particularly cool <laughs> as well. And I'm just going on, on rumors and people okay. excited by <laughs> is, is that um, you lift up leaders like um, Marion Wright Elderman uh, as like, um, models, archetypes, examples, and then go and uh, look how it's being embodied um, right now, um, not just uh, with her work um, with the Children's Defence League, which she's right. moved on from now, but um, uh, in these young people, and whether it's like Harriet Tupman's or, um, uh, you know, Marion Wright Elderman's or like, that's pretty amazing as well, the education that's happening um, on, on that level. 
Yeah, it was fun to see the similarities, right? Like, of course, like I'd known about, uh, you know, Harriet Tubman, of course, or Lou mm. Townsend Hamer I write about and I've written papers on in seminary, but to go back and to review um, and do some research and then you're like, wow, this this feels like I'm speaking to, or not, not that I'm speaking, that I'm reading about similarly these young girls. There's a woman named Ginger Smock who was a violinist um, out, out of, of California. And she was a, a jazz violinist, um, a classical violinist. Um, and there's one uh, young woman that I write about who is a, is a jazz, uh, gospel. She, con she con considers herself a classical and a gospel violinist, but she's all into art, you know, arts activism. But the 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 I watched an interview with Ginger Smock, and I write about her in the and I'd never heard of her, and I watched this long hour long interview, and it was like speaking to Kennedy, like it was like I was watching Kennedy. You know, wow. um, and it's just so powerful to to see these girls that really have no idea. They're just living out who they are, their existence. Some people might make the argument that these, you know, our our foremothers are sort of revisiting us in these, mm -hmm. in these more present generation. Yep, beautiful. I, I imagine right now. Everybody who's listening has already pre-ordered Unbossed just from all of that, <laughs> uh, which would be the correct thing to do. Um, but, but um, you know, one of the things we like to do as we ground our conversations together is to actually ground them around a particular biblical passage. Christy, um, do you have a biblical passage you could read for us to ground our conversation? It's so short and it doesn't have anything to do with anything that we just talked about. It might, though, once we wind up talking, but I had yeah. something in my mind. Like when we were talking yesterday or messaging, then I was like, mm, going in another direction, just like a preacher, right? right, uh, right. And uh, it's short, but it's not Jesus Web short. Um, it, <laughs> I'll read the passage, but I know later we'll be talking about it. But uh, John chapter 16 coming out of the Farewell Discourse, which is my my favorite passages, in the All right. passages particularly in the gospel. Just first one, that's it, nothing more. Um, and I'm reading from New International, although I'm a fan of New Revised, of course. Um, and Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. That's it. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Amen. Wow. Um, Rev Christy, the dignity with which you hold up individual um, uh, uh, stories and then draw us into larger life lessons really speaks to inverse um, and our heart that biography is theology. We, we tend to ask people, uh, when do you first remember encountering the scriptures? Are there particular memories that come to mind for you? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my uh, upbringing, I'm actually, I was born in Brooklyn, New York in the first few years of my life from Brooklyn, but my, my mom's side of the family uh, is from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And uh, my grandmother um, practically raised me. She potty trained me, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. And I say that because my family uh, sort of comes from a generation where in the summer you drop your kid off, you know, um, and, and you see, you'll see him again in a few months. Right. Um, and I didn't I didn't know there was any other way to live. Right. Like I didn't know there was any other lifestyle. And so you drop them off to the grandparents or whoever and they go off. I don't know what my parents were doing, you know. <laughs> um, but when I when I was a baby, 
you know, two years old, three years old. And this, this went on and my grandmother passed. I was maybe, uh, I don't know if I was 12. I don't remember how old that was, but um, went on for pretty much my entire early adolescence. Um, I was potty training in, in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. I remember getting chicken pox in Rocky Mountain, because that's just what we did. You know, I was just down there. And um, anyway, I say that to say that my grandmother, so all the cousins, my, so I, my sister wasn't born at the time. She's way younger than me, but my brother, I had cousins and we would all just be down there at the house. And um, we wake up in the morning, we have breakfast and she had um, the, the scriptures on the, uh, on the table, the, the little car, I don't know what it's called. I wish you would remember what it's called. My mom probably told me. They were like these, like, uh, you pull one out and it was in a, in a little bread. So it wasn't our daily bread. But oh, it was bread. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they just sit on the table and it was like, there's different colors and you just pull one. You, it's like, like a fortune, like fortune cookie. Don't tell her, you know, my grandmother, God rest her soul, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't hear that. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that comparison would not fly. Um, but we pull one out, but before we ate, we were pulling out one of the, the things mm-hmm. and we would read it. No context. Well, no, you know, seminary degrees. You know what I mean? That that wasn't it. You just read, you read scripture and we went around one at a time and we read it and we wouldn't parse it. We just read it <laughs> and then we say grace and that would be it. And that was um, what we did, you know? Um, and I... It was such a, I don't remember the actual scriptures that we read, right? right. Um, I, you know, I, from what I remember, I do believe they're mostly from the, from the gospels. They were mostly Jesus said this or partic- probably Psalms or pro- a proverb. Proverbs, yeah. yeah those sort of, because um, it wasn't the whole Bible, it was just a little, you know, and, um, but it, it's a very warm memory for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't all this contention you know, that, that we, there, that there is now that I'm older, which isn't a bad thing per se, but it is, those are my earliest memories and seeing her too. Um, I have, I can see it right now, you know, just, um, being a little girl and going into the bedroom and seeing her on the side of her bed with her glasses on, you know, like goggles, you know, and reading the Bible on the side of the bed and it's all marked up and read and, you know, like got little notes on the side and I didn't know, you know, but that, that was what she was instilling, um, in us. And it might not have been the exacts or the specifics, what we get down to now. Right. But the love, it was like, Mm. just came out, you know, poured out of it. That is what I, that is what I felt. Hmm. Wow, that's precious. Yeah, it is. It is. So as you think about, you know, those early memories, I'm really curious. We were always interested in like how people were actually encountering and experiencing scripture, right? Um, to what degree um, did you encounter and experience them as liberating or as oppressive? Um, and did that shift from you know, early years, or was that a constant? I'm just kind of curious about your own story and how you were encountering and experiencing uh, the Bible. Yeah, you know, I didn't even really feel the oppressive part till seminary, you know, Mm -hmm. 
yeah. I wasn't introduced to that. Even, you know, I hear um, some women, unfortunately, and they deal talking about the patriarchy that they experienced in, in church or growing up. I didn't experience patriarchy until um, seminary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, where all the men running to the front in the pulpit? Why, you know, like all my seminary brothers, you know, like how come they're all running when we go to the guest guest preacher place? You know, like those are the types of things or in scripture. But I really consider myself blessed. You know, yeah. um, I consider it very rare to have not had that. And I think for me, had I had those experiences oppressive more oppressive ones early on I don't know if I would be I don't know if I was would be strong enough would have been strong enough to be where I am today Mm -hmm. um you know I went from my grandmother and uh and you know those experiences of love and warmth and um you know we went to church down there too you know yeah yeah. Um, and you know, it was, you know, you can't take communion yet, not till you get saved, you know, that type of thing. So we we that is my <laughs> early experience, you know, it's like I can't take communion, I gotta go to the front, you know, uh, or not until you get baptized, not until you get saved, you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing. And then um my parents were um uh they were they were de- they were deacon and deaconess at their uh church, Bethany Baptist Church. Um is where I was christened in Brooklyn. I saw somebody say Brooklyn, yeah. Um, and, uh, and then from there, as soon as we moved to New Jersey in the second grade, we went right to First Baptist Church. Well, we visited a church or two um, and we were going back to Brooklyn for about a year. And then um, my pastor at the time, um, uh, Buster Stories, he uh, had just, um, just got installed and, uh, you know, chosen to be the pastor of First Baptist. And um, and and from there, which is funny because I was texting him yesterday and I was like, you know, you do know like, you know, a lot of the reason why I am who I am is because of you. I, like, I can't escape this. Uh, you know, I've had my rebellious years of that. And he's like, oh, you're exaggerating. I'm like, no, I'm probably gonna bring you up in every interview, you know, because people ask me about my upbringing and it's like, it's inevitable, you know? Right. His whole platform was, uh, Faith without works is dead, pretty much. Faith in action was 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 our motto. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it was going to be both and. You was going to do community. There was no church and community separate. It was like, you know, um, you're going to into the school system, politics. You know, he was secretary of state. All of these things were so intertwined. Yeah. Uh, there was a shooting, we was marching. You know, like there was just... If there was injustice, we were out there. So it never, it was always married to me. Yeah. The, the word and sort of the, the action and the living it out part. We were not a Sunday church, like by any means. <laughs> okay. He's like, and so it has, that has stayed with me. But also at the same time, when you talk about you know, liberative or oppressive, you know, I, women were always in the pulpit too for, mm-hmm. Um, for me, pastor stories, our executive pastor was a woman. All of our associate pastors were women. Sometimes we'd be like, we're the men, you know, like, um, and I remember Reverend Johnson, Allison Brown Johnson, God bless her. She, um, she was always hard on me, but, uh, <laughs> we, I remember when she, it was like early, it was the old part, it was like maybe the, it was the early nineties. And she would be like, we'd be reading hymns and she'd be leading the hymn and like, 
exchange the pronouns uh, mm. for she and her and all that. And I remember everybody was like, and me and my friends would be like, ooh, you know, <laughs> like we, even though like we, you know, yeah, like, yeah. we didn't think anybody was going to be like, I don't know what we thought, but we were like, why she do that? Like, ooh, you know, and we would see there would be discomfort, but they were all, I mean, that was, that was what I saw up front all of the time. It was almost inevitable for me to follow the path that I have been on because of just what I saw. And I was always in church, always in youth ministry, always involved, always serving, always doing that. So it was just a part of who we were. And Pastor Stories was really big on empowering us, empowering women, but also empowering youth. We had our own youth service and he was like, y'all run it. I remember I was like 14. And it was like, no, we need a youth pastor. We need this. And he was like, yeah, you guys can do it. Well, you know, we'll be, we have eight o'clock service and we'll have 11 o'clock service. And then at one o'clock, we're out of here. Y'all take the church. And we were like, okay. And I would be with my friend, like my friends at church and would be like, okay, who's going to do announcements? You know, like, <laughs> do the word. Who's going to be in the choir? It was like, so, I mean, it's funny now I think about it. We were like nervous, but then we would have these loud services, you know, and be inviting wow. people to come in. I mean, like, you know, we were sort of thrown out to the wolves, but really supported at the same time. But again, once I got to seminary though, you know, I never didn't feel like I had a voice. I never didn't feel like I had a place. It just, it just never crossed my mind, you know, mm. um, whether it was from my parents or just from the, the church community. Um, even when I had issues at school, which I did, I knew I had a home. I knew I had a safe yeah. space. And when I got to seminary and those things were introduced, people would talk about their experiences or these other things that were sort of introduced, you know, um, I was like, oh, really? Sorry to hear that, you know? Hmm. And then I started experiencing those things as I ventured out a bit more. So, yeah, that's so refreshing to hear, like. <laughs> I mean, Drew, Drew and I have done this a couple of times, right? And uh, it, it's just lovely to hear somebody lift up their pastor um, in such a, like, this person has helped shape my life. And that's a good thing. That's, that's beautiful. Christy, yeah. I might need your help with this next question. Okay. Um, I will confess that it's the, it's the question I most get asked to reframe. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure if I've actually come up <laughs> with the word. Like the heart behind it is really about, we don't want to use the word hermeneutics, but um, what we want, want to do is connect people's personal story um, and um, uh, your life affirming like experiences um, and uh, those who are seeking to, to read the scriptures in ways that, that do the same, um, that, that do turn our world upside down or right side up. Um, oh, what um, gifts from your own uh, uh, personal journey would you offer others when um, people might not have had um, a pastor that they can lift up and thank God for, or a church community that um, threw them in the deep end, uh, but also provided floaties? Um, <laughs> like, um, uh, what gift would you offer others who, who are yeah. um, struggling to maybe provide that for themselves? Yeah, when I got to seminary, I struggled. I mean, struggled, um, which I'm sure a lot of people do, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think it was an isolated experience, but it felt isolating because you go in with such certainty. Well, I did at least, right? Mm. Thinking that there, that I sort of knew and was going into a space that was just going to affirm what I already knew. 
not deconstruct, you know, not break down. Um, and, you know, it was a different type of being thro thrown out, you know, and, uh, right. and it was so hard, not, not in the beginning, because I went in very confident. Um, but then, you know, after your first year, you're like, I really don't know anything, huh? You know, um, and then you're like, what's prayer again? You know, I mean, just everything just becomes like, and, and I've really considered myself having gone through one of what have, what, one of what would become many faith crises, um, at various points in my life. But, uh, one of the first ones I would say, uh, or second, uh, you know, when I was, um, when I was in seminary and, uh, because I couldn't grab hold of anything. So you say like my upbringing, I could grab hold of my experience uh, and growing up in the black church, I could grab hold of the people that I knew and the things that I knew, you know, but what I couldn't grab hold of um, when I was in seminary were, were any of those things. Um, and, you know, I just felt like really lost theologically and, and spiritually um, and I just remember a teacher or professor, I don't know if it was Mark Taylor, I always bring, pull it back to him, but I don't know if it was him, but he said, you know, the answers are in the questions. Uh, and, but it doesn't mean that, um, that you have to get an answer, but the question by the question in and of itself is sufficient and, uh, and would just encourage me to just ask your questions. Just say them in class, in prayer, in everything. Just ask them. Mm. Um, not with any intent or even expectation to land somewhere. With the question in and of itself being enough. Mm. And uh, so I started to practice that. I'd ask all sorts of questions. Um, you know, interesting that you would say that. What do you think about, you know, I'd just be asked, you know, um, <laughs> And also would say, he also would say, I remember, you know, you know, I don't know is really powerful. You can just say, you don't know, you know? Mm. And so if a professor would ask me something, you know, I'd be like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's saying like, like super confident. And, but I don't know, used to be so, these things used to be such a, such a source of insecurity for me, asking questions and not knowing the answers, um, you know, not, you know, not knowing or saying you don't know in general. Like, so it, it moved, it shifted from being an insecurity to, me being confident in those things, like that, that being sufficient, that you have to sort of sit in the discomfort of not knowing. I remember there was this, prof this professor I worked at Azusa Pacific University in California, and I forgot uh, his name, but he said, uh, he said, you know, the, the most we could ever expect is a holy discomfort. I remember he had said, mm. you know, um, while we're here, <laughs> you know, it'll always be uncomfortable in some aspect, but it, it, you can expect that to be holy, but you can expect it to be uncomfortable. And um, so I, I, I'm marrying those, those two thoughts because I say that it's not necessarily an experience. Like I'm not saying, oh, seminary's experience or this, I had this experience and that's how I read, but that has helped guide me um, in those seasons or in those moments or just in life in general. Um, it's helped guide me in, you know, going back to the scripture, help me not abandon the faith because the faith that I thought that I knew, I thought I knew all the answers to, I thought, you know, I had it all figured out. 
once those things come crumbling down, that's when it, you know, the, the door can be open when people re um, reject you or, you know, people that you hold in a high esteem, you know, that you thought were Christian leaders or whatever it might be, you know, any, anything will make you abandon. Mm -hmm. um, but I hold to the fact that, you know, I know who does hold the answers and that sounds so cliche, but I really don't, mm -hmm. know, you know, mm -hmm. and that the questions are, enough for me i just keep asking and, and trust that somewhere some somewhere some way i'm going to get to something um that's going to help me guide me for the next phase of my life right or the next phase of there's oh i'm just there's nothing but questions my whole life and not just me asking questions like verbally but like I still have so many questions now. It doesn't matter how many degrees or how many books I write. It just gets worse the older I get. It's just like, I just don't know anything, you know? Like, life is like a big surprise. And uh, had I not had that moment where I've been able, where I was able to sort of live out in that seminary space, not knowing and asking questions, then I don't know if I'd be able to do it in real life. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. As you were talking, it, like I had memories coming up because so I was a Bible geek, you know, so I was a biblical <laughs> studies major um, in undergrad and and not at like, you know, a lot of people have Christian undergrad experiences where like fundamentalists or whatever, but I was at Messiah. So it wasn't that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I was presented with all kinds of stuff and had that going in thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to reaffirm all of my Sunday school lessons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and had a rude awakening and had so many questions through that whole time. I mean, just opened up, you know, um, and certainly um, fostered a healthy level of humility in my own sense of knowing. Right. And so, yeah, that process has been good and it's been good for me to be able to um, in that not knowing um in hearing from others it's opened me up to listen better in you know um just being yeah i, I it, there's a certain disposition that has kind of grown out of that process which was multiple times for me as well um yeah. deepening that not knowing and insecurity and, and embracing questions and mm. being okay with that so yeah i really resonate with that a lot and i think folks can certainly um when we come to the bible um you know to even, you know, I was having a conversation this week with some of my students um, and they were, you know, beginning to wrestle with the questions where I'm like, well, why isn't God, why is there like slavery um, mm -hmm. not being completely mm. condemned from start to finish, you know, like, yeah, and, yeah. and like, yeah, it's a little more complex than maybe how we thought about it. And so we're going to have to kind of wrestle with how the trajectory of the biblical narrative flows, right? And how it culminates in the person of Jesus. And it's a little more messier and we have to enter into yeah. some of that, right? <laughs> anyway, so I just think that posture, I think is gonna yeah. be is meaningful for folks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that language I'm laughing because it's just, that is the language. That is what I heard. That would have been so helpful for me, you know, as, as a young student at the time. And it's language I still, I still have uh, sort of ingrained in my life. So when you say things like, oh, we wrestle with the text and all that, you know, that's all a part that's under the umbrella of not knowing, you know, yeah, yeah, just figure yeah. it out. Why, why did the Canaanites take, you know, like, why did we take, why did, you know, those are types of things that early on in seminary, I was like, well, why did he allow them to do that? You know? <laughs> what kind of God, you know, like, those are the things. 
yeah yeah that's good so in that light uh can you um uh, lead us into uh the gospel of john in this passage yeah. that you picked for us let's have a conversation so um there's something about the farewell discourse that i don't know it's comforting to me it always um has been and even even more now in these in these days that we live in um farewell discourse uh typically begins at chapter 14 but i in my heart believe it begins at chapter 13. uh mm. chapter 13 is where jesus washes the disciples feet and i think that's very much part of his farewell i think that that practice was a part of it so before he even started speaking to them um so obviously it starts with that um I'm leading us up to, to chapter 16 and then um you know and then goes into um Jesus speaking to the disciples and and telling them you know don't let your hearts be troubled you know in this world it's gonna be a mess like I'm just using my own interpretation at this point <laughs> um and he tells them on the way the truth and the life and he you know go goes into again what what is known as a discourse and he's telling them look I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, you know, I'm going to send you a comforter. You're not going to be alone, you know, um, you know, abide in me and, you know, all these things. I'm the, I'm the grapevine and, you know, the world is going to hate you. Um, and so he's telling them all these things to expect. And they're like, you know, I'm sure they're clueless. Um, and he says, I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you a spirit of truth. And, and they're going to testify about me, but just know, you know, you're going to have trouble. Um, but, but take heart, you know, I've overcome the world. Um, but then he says in chapter 16, in that first verse, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. And I stopped there because, uh, man, I've thought a lot about that passage because there's been so many times um particularly in the last few years that i don't know if i was going to totally jump ship but if i ever was going to jump the faith ship it would have been in the last few years the older mm -hmm. i get it's not just what's happening in society in the world it's personal stuff it's just life mm -hmm. you know? um and to, to when i when i've read this passage or these passages traditionally <clears throat> You know, I always saw it as literal, you know, you're going to be delivered to the synagogues and it is, you know, I'm sure uh, it's, it's contextually literal. Um, but also, I think there's more to it than that. Um, you know, when I think about just like my own personal life and, um, you know, for example, this summer I was fasting and really been, you know, going to anyone's church per se, you know, virtual life, you know, with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna start fasting. I'm gonna do like a day fast or half a day fast here and there, whatever. And I was fasting a lot in the, in the beginning, you know, when I had a free day or, um, you know, free half a day or something. And the first three, four times, like I feel strong after I'm listening to Richard Rohr, like I'm doing the whole thing. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the last time that I fasted, I remember ending the fast early and saying, you know what, forget it. Like, what's the point, you know? Um, and I didn't feel like it was working or I don't know, whatever mm -hmm. was going on personally. And I just jumped ship, just gave up, you know? Um, my frustration is that there were things that I was praying about. I just wasn't really seeing, you know, um, there were things that I was upset that I was seeing um, as well. Um, from people that they, people that said that they were um, 
spokespeople for God um, and sort of feeling like they weren't, but like were being elevated. You know, there were just some things that mm-hmm. I just uh, was very frustrated with, but I don't know why I just kept coming back to this passage because Jesus was saying here, like, I'm telling you, all these things are going to happen. You're not going to like it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to feel good. There's going to be trouble. Some of you might die, you know, like the whole nine yards. Um, but I'm telling you these things in advance, right? I'm warning you. Um, and I'm also, t- I'm not just warning you. I'm telling you that I'm going to be with you. Uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to be with you, that you're, you're going to have an advocate. I'm telling you that I've overcome these things. I'm telling you they're going to happen. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. I'm telling you because I don't want for you to jump ship. I don't want for you to abandon the faith um, because the, the pressures of the world around you is going to push you in a direction as such that is going to cause you to want to abandon the faith, right? It's going to be so bad that you're going to want to say, forget it. I want to have nothing to do with this. So, you know, when I think about even politically or socially, the last, I don't know, six years or so, right? Um, Just whether it's the pandemic, not just that, the pandemic or, you know, the, the prayers that we pray and the fasting and not necessarily seeing certain things happen or seeing, um, you know, a certain demographic uh, of people represent the body of Christ to the public, right? And we see them and we know that they are not necessarily uh, producing that fruit. And you're like, how is this happening? How are these things happening? Not just socially, politically, racially, like, you know, health-wise. It's like, well, I'm supposed to serve this God, right? I'm supposed to be this follower of Christ, Um and I'm so frustrated. It's not working. I'm not seeing, you know, the, I'm not seeing results or whatever. All I'm seeing is chaos. Um, but I personally keep coming back to, you know, I already told you, you know, um, I told you so that you won't abandon. I know, I knew you were going to get to this place. <laughs> I mm-hmm. knew you were going to want to say, you know what, forget it. You know what I mean? Like, I want nothing to do with this faith anymore. These people that that call themselves Christians or, you know, I don't want to fast. I don't want to pray. You know, it's not working, you know, whatever. Um, the fact that 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 he loved us so much <laughs> to tell us in advance. <laughs> right. Like not necessarily these details per se, but that love from you know, um, when I think about when I became like Christian or younger, whatever, and I, when I got older, I remember thinking like, I wish somebody would tell me when I went to the altar, like, you know, they're like, this is the best day of your life. It's going to be amazing from here on out, you know, and you're like, you died, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, just like, oh, tomorrow you're going to wake up and it's just going to be like rose colored glasses. And I was just like, that's not what happened, you know, like, um, but that conversation that Jesus has, right, with us is, I do love you. And that's why I'm telling you, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want for you to leave when it gets so bad. Um, your heart, the pressure on your heart, the pressure on your mind, it's going to mm-hmm. get so bad. And it's going to mm-hmm. cause you to want to say, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. I know that's going to happen just like he told Peter that. Mm-hmm. He said, you know what? you're going to deny me three times, you know, but I prayed for you in advance so that when you get yourself together, 
and you get your heart together um, and you're stronger, you can go strengthen your brothers and your sisters. There's all these, these moments that Jesus has with them where he's like preparing, you know, in advance. So I got to this place and there have been many times where I've gotten to this place of sort of desperation. I didn't think I was, you know, like we look at the passage with Peter and we're like, I'll never be like that. You know, I never deny Christ, you know, you're right, you know, um, but this, you know, like if I was younger, you know, my, when I was younger, my faith, if I would have read that, I would have said, oh, I won't get to a place where I want to abandon it. You know, I'll be frustrated and, you know, like I'll have some challenges, but I will never walk away. And I can honestly say there have been times more recently than none where I've wanted to walk away, mm -hmm. you know, completely yeah. like you not, you don't just walk away from the church. You don't just walk away from the body of Christ. You, you know, there's these like, there's these layers of it, right? These sort of like, you, you have like, you walk away in moment and then you get to the point where you're at the end and you're like, I'm just gonna walk away from Jesus. <laughs> you know, you never think you're gonna get there, but it starts with these moments and they all add up, you know, one disappointment after another. And, you know, like, and the fact that he loved us so much to say, I'm telling you in advance, I've got your back. I just have to keep coming back to that. I don't go, I, I haven't been going back to much in the Bible, you know, um, to give me comfort for that feeling. Um, there's no stories or anything. I mean, I'm sure there are, you know, for some other people, but for me, it's just that one particular verse. Mm. Listen, like, you know, when I'm like the midnight hour, when I'm mostly frustrated, I'm just like, you know what, I'm throwing in the towel. And I just hear the whisper of, you know what, I told you these things and so you won't abandon the faith. Mm -hmm. and that's what, um, that's what helps me. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a Holy spirit filled word. I feel because I mean, in some way, I don't know, like, I feel like I've seen that we're in such a jumping ship season right now. Um, in so many ways. I mean, as you were talking, like I got people in my mind, right. Mm -hmm. That have just, they've mm -hmm. just given up not just on the church, but on Jesus, right? right. Um, and and even just some of the stats, even thinking about, which always strikes me, um, like hearing that in the past few years, like even, like they always say, like white Christians in the US have the number that affiliated as Christian had declined faster than, than in the black mm -hmm. community. But even in the black community in more mm -hmm. recent years, the bigger mm -hmm. decline that's been going on, I think as people of, you know, the Trump era and all the nonsense that went along with that. Um, and then I was thinking in in my own life, when I, the other thing that memory that came back, which I write a little bit about, which was when I first went to college at this white Christian college and experiencing racism among my peers, one of the things I felt like was my black congregation didn't warn me about what I was getting into. And it wasn't like they didn't have enough, there wasn't enough wisdom there. They had enough, but nobody said, Drew, beware of this white Christian community and what you're about to get into, right? Um, because that could have easily, I mean, it ended up being something else, which was giving me a sense of vocation, um, but it could have very easily been, um, and I know for some friends of mine who were there at that time, it was the reason for walking away, even in, in a Christian college, right? And so, mm -hmm. For so many different reasons, I just feel like this was so spirit-filled and timely um, in terms of just where people are, and um, and this 
Yeah, I think how you phrase it, it's just a beautiful way of thinking about um, God's love and remind, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here with you. Don't be ready for this, right? It's coming. It's not going to be easy. Um, um, and, and that advanced word, I think, is a timely um, reminder for us. Yeah. Mm. And and so tender as well. Mm-hmm. Christy, I'll, I'll, I'd love to give you permission to come back to, um, you ended with talking about throwing in the towel, but you started us off um, contextualizing the discourses in John 13 with Jesus taking a towel. And I, I think that's, that's so beautiful. I mean, um, not just the preacher in me, but the, the activists, um, like action as rhetoric for radicals. And here is like a, a embodied prophetic um, John's gospel. You're not going to get, the lord's table um you're gonna get like him half naked um (laughs) washing grubby feet um would you talk to us a little about how reading the discourses in light of a god who gets down close and washes grubby feet changes how you hear this verse yeah actually all all of the that whole chapter and a whole few chapters uh, for me, um, there is a, it's not just an intimacy that we like a a setting, like you can visually see John is already descriptive and, you know, in general, but you, you see this sort of intimate setting, but it seems like he's really taking his time, Jesus, right? Mm. Not just washing of the feet, but with even just talking to them, um, you know, and telling them and taking time. I mean, this major life altering painful event is getting ready to take place and he's taking his time. I, I, I uh, think I did a chapel talk. Um, I might, it might be a sermon too, but it, uh, it, was, it was called What Matters and Why. Um, and, uh, you know, I was talking about TV shows like when I was obsessed with This Is Us, it's not that good anymore. But um, <laughs> I was like, those shows like Parenthood, you know, like um, how the reason why I love them so much is because um, they remind me of what matters and why. And at the at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the show, you're crying, and it's like it just because it reminds you of like what really matters. And um, I see that in this in in this Jesus taking his time in this this moment uh, spiritually and for the for the whole world for the all of humankind is getting ready to take place. And yet he spends his last few moments with his friends. I mean, you know, I mean, that, that is the, it's sort of like the quintessential illustration of him showing us what matters, him taking his time with his friends, with his people, his family, the people that he cared about in these like final moments of his life um, and not just rushing his way through it. And um, there's something really powerful in it because, again, um, we don't see this in these in the other gospels. Um, you know, we see bits and pieces of it, but the way that it is drawn out and just there's there's a repetitiveness um, even in in the language of these chapters. Um, but definitely with the starting of the, you know, I'm I'm going to take my time and uh, wash your feet now you know, one of the things about communion these days in like particularly larger churches, right, is like, okay, grab it, all right, all right, Jesus took it, okay, just, you know, and then you just move on, right, like, it's very quick, 
right? The shot glass uh, communion. <laughs> right. It's basically what it is. And, uh, you know, no shade to it. I just remember um, when the pandemic first started uh, and uh, T.D. Jakes did a online service, communion service or something. I don't remember what it was, but uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to join in T.D. Jakes' service. Um, and me and my mom and uh, I don't know, we, we took communion like watching it online, but it mm-hmm. was so slow, like not in a bad way. It was like, we all were home. We were attentive. We didn't know what was going to happen next. You know, like we, there was a lot of uncertainty, confusion. um, And even though it was virtual, it was slow and um, intentional. And for the first time in like a long time, I didn't rush communion at the end of the service. You know what I mean? Before we go home. and I picture the, the setting sort of similarly, um, but obviously different with Jesus, right? The, the disciples with the uncertainty of time, not really knowing what was going to happen next, what's going on, you know? Um, Jesus and in, in likely in his nervousness. Um, and, you know, because obviously was human as well. And whatever emotions that he was experiencing, um, still managed to take his time with the disciples with the washing of the feet and the breaking of the bread. This our communion moment, you know, um, and then sat and talked to them, <laughs> you know, like telling them what was going to happen and preparing. It's just like, I don't know how long that scene was, you know, um, but there's something about it that if we are in these quote unquote latter days, whatever the latter days of whatever that looks like, um, in what ways is Jesus taking his time with us today? You know, um, if that was the early, early part of the church and, uh, he was preparing them for these moments, these, these extreme moments that they were going to be experiencing. Um, I don't know. I think we're experiencing very extreme moments as well. And, uh, I do think that, uh, that he's taking his time with us. I think we need to take our time with others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, the passage speaks to us. Uh, he's demonstrating to them what they need to be doing, right? He's telling them the same way. Um, look, I'm washing your feet. You need to be doing the same for your brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? Um, and we're not a take our time world right now, right? Everything is fast, fast, fast or whatever. Um I think maybe the pandemic in many ways has caused us to slow down, but I don't know how many of us have learned our lesson in that. Um, so there's just a lot. It's such a meaty few, it's such a meaty passage for me. Um, and I always come, I always come back to it and I just always find so much comfort in it, you know. Yeah, beautiful. And when you talk about taking time, I was just reminded, so in back in 2017, uh, Christina Cleveland and I both spoke at Eastern Mennonite Seminary's SLT conference. And we opened, they asked us to like code do a thing on the Samaritan story. And and I remember her saying something about like, I think this is more like a social psychology thing, but like the greatest factor of like when people, whether people stop or not to help someone in need has to do with if they're in a hurry or not, <laughs> you know? Anyway, so just kind of interesting when you talk about taking our time what does it mean to take our time and that kind of attentiveness and slowing down 
um, where then we can actually wash the feet of others. Um, and in a world where we don't take our time, creates in some ways then precisely, I guess, the very conditions in which people see a you know, faith without works, to quote your pastor, mm -hmm. emphasis on James, mm -hmm. um, that actually gives people a crisis, right? Because our faith is, our works are not lining up with the kind of faith that we are supposed to embody as followers of Jesus. So yeah, that's really, that's good. Jesus' half-brother, he knew some stuff. <laughs> he knew some stuff, that's right. <laughs> Christy, um, in, in these final moments before uh, we go to Q&A with um, our Patreon community, um, I'm aware you've been talking about uh, um, the, the forced deconstruction of seminary as part of the, the journey. Um, there's some people that aren't paying as much money um, to have similar experiences at the moment. <laughs> um, but it, uh, not to imply that it's not costly, that for so many at the moment, it's um, and uh, and what I've really appreciated about what you've highlighted about this passage is that there's no bait and switch in Jesus's call to discipleship. The the vocation that we're baptized into um, uh, wasn't false promises, but um, read the fine print, take up your cross, yourself, all that's in there. Fine print. Who, who still wants it? Uh, in light of that, in, in these final moments, uh, for those who are struggling, um, what what word of, um, I don't want to say advice, I, I guess mean um, comfort or encouragement um, would you want people to hear? Hmm. That we're literally all experiencing very similar things. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if that helps. <laughs> we're all in this together. I think that we, uh, you know, experience things and we feel like we are in isolation mm. um you know you see people's lives on particularly on social media it looks like they got it together you know it looks like they you know they put up these fancy quotes and nothing's wrong with it you know um you know we, we sort of present the best of ourselves but we're all going through something we're all struggling with something I find comfort in that. I feel bad to say that, but um, it's not the it's not the struggle per se. Um, I remember uh, this is not this sounds really bad. Okay, so before the Me Too movement, it was literally like I remember thinking to myself, like a few weeks before, like we started seeing those the terminology. I don't know why I tweeted it. Right, it was like a month before, and I said, "There's there's a lot of power in Me Too." right? Something like that I've written. And I can't even go back and capitalize on it because now it's like sort of taking it, it's taking another <laughs> turn. But the reason why I remember tweeting that was because I wasn't saying that with, uh, in terms of that particular like social movement, it was more like when people say me too, like, mm -hmm. oh, I went through that too. You know, like I was mm -hmm. saying that there's a lot of power in that because you're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one that felt that way. I thought I was the yeah. only one that had that experience or I thought, and that is the power of the Me Too movement, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's beyond that one aspect. It's just the fact that, oh, I've had those thoughts too. Oh, I've wanted. And when you're in a group or when you hear somebody say that, you know, that's why it's, that's, that's inspiring, you know? New people sort of come out of what they were, but 
that's why, you know, AA, when people go to AA, mm. you know, um, whether they have an alcoholic addiction or not, you know, there's a, those are powerful principles just in general. Yeah. But this idea of like, hi, my name is such as I went through that as well. I have that as well. You know, these are, those are powerful sessions. And I wish we would see, we kind of, you know, you said testimony service, you know, that type of thing, but we, I don't know if we have as much of that um, in the church, but I say all that to say, just know that everybody's got their thing, you know, Um, everybody, we do not all have it together and we do not have all the answers. I don't care how many books you've written or whatever, you know, Um, everybody's got their thorn in the side, you know, um, take comfort in that because you're not alone. And there's a sermon, I teach a class called Religion and Film in Contemporary Society, and we watch Doubt um, with uh, Meryl Streep and Mm -hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And there's some really, he's got two sermons in Doubt. They're short, short sermons, and they have clips on YouTube. I use them sometimes when I'm, I want to, like, if I'm doing like a youth service or something like that. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is talking about um, how, you know, I think it takes place in the 60s around Kennedy's assassination or whatever. And he's talking about how, you know, when Kennedy died, everybody brought everybody together. He's talking about these different things that happened that brought the nation together. Um, But he's using all these examples. And then he's basically saying, you know, um, you're you're not alone, right? Like that these situations sort of brought us all together in our shared pain and our shared struggle and our shared experiences, you know? Um, and what they taught us is that we're, that, that in that we found strength, right? Um, and in that collective struggle and that collective suffering, it's like brought us some sort of strength. And he was basically saying in the same thing with doubt, right? In, this, in the sermon, he's like, we're all doubting in some way. <laughs> and that's what brings us here together right? Not necessarily the strength of it. It's like really powerful. You got to watch it. Um, But I sort of echo those sentiments, right? That we all have our questions. We all have our frustrations. We all have a prayer that hasn't been answered yet that we're, you know, might be a little bit mad at God about, you know, Um, we all have something, you know, um, that we've going through in our life that we think we're the only one going through it, you know, but there is shared struggle. There is shared uh uncertainty and um you're not alone thank you well, uh, just on behalf of drew and i thanks for ministering to us this is, this is <laughs> i feel like uh um, i have a new spiritual director this is great <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you, Christy. This has been really good. Um, maybe right before we go, do you want to share where can people find your work and your presence online? Yeah, uh, on Twitter, I am at Christy Lauren. And on Instagram, I'm at Christy Adams. You can really just Google my name and everything will come up. Um, but uh, also you can um, find both books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, beamingbooks.com. You can pre-order the middle grade book or broadleafbooks.com is the both adult books, um, Parable of Brown Girl and Unbossed. And then my website is christylaurenadams.com. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text 
can still turn the world upside down. Why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.